0: I want to read to you this morning from the Proverbs. I want to read to you from the Proverbs. And there are several of them here, if you just grab those. Proverbs twelve twenty five begins us. It says, an anxious heart, what? But a kind word cheers him up. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can share its joy. Even in laughter, the heart is sad, and the end of joy is grief. A tranquil mind gives life to the flesh, but passion makes the bones rot. A tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. There it is again, the tree of life. But a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. A happy heart, makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. The discerning heart seeks knowledge, but the mouth of a fool feeds folly. All of a man's ways seem innocent to him, but their motives are weighed by the Lord. A man's spirit sustains him in sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? And finally, a wicked man flees, though no one pursues, but the righteous are what? Bold as a lion let's pray father would you just bless your word this morning we just ask that you would encourage people encourage hearts minister to them strengthen them and we give you the praise and we give you the glory in Jesus precious name and everyone said amen amen Amen. well hey today I want to talk to you about wisdom And uh, the scriptures that have been read have been from the book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs. And by the way, if you want to be on our scripture reading team, uh, we just invite you to do that. We have people that come and read the scriptures that we'll be teaching on Uh, for the day from time to time. And so no matter what campus you're on, we'd love for you to be a part of the scripture reading team. Just on your connection card today, write scripture reading team, and we'll have somebody get in touch with you if that's something you'd like to do. Um, We we would just love that. I wanna welcome everybody here. If you're online, welcome. If you're in Kerman, welcome. You're Bullard Campus, welcome, welcome, welcome to everybody, and of course, those of you that are in the house. Everybody say, "Hello." hello. All right, Fresno says hello. Milburn says hello to everybody. Um, Okay, I want to talk to you about the complex realities of emotion in the inner life. It is very complex. How do you feel what you feel? Anybody have the answer to that? Why do you feel what you feel? Now, in today's world, we can be really simple-minded about stuff. In fact, it's a lot harder than than this two-part message title gives it credit for. Because when you're dealing with your emotion, you're dealing with very deep, very conflicting, what can be very confusing or warring dynamic impulses that roll through your hearts. And how many of you know, many times you feel as though you don't have power over it? In fact, many times we don't even know how we got to feeling the way that we feel, am I right? Have you ever been there? You know that something is wrong, but you don't know what to do about it. Who can relate to that? Here's what I want to say right at the beginning. If you just have your notes and you'd write this down. Here's what the scripture tells us. The scripture tells us that God gives great priority to what's happening on the inside of you. (laughs) Write that down. In fact, it's repeated all through the New Testament. Jesus says it. He gives great priority to what's going on inside of you. In fact, one of these Proverbs, the second to the last Proverb on your, on your page, if you flip back to it, you'll see it says, a man's spirit can sustain him in sickness, but a crushed spirit, what? Who can bear? Now, what does the word spirit mean? In the Hebrew Bible, that word spirit is actually the word for wind. It has to do with force or energy. Now, when it's referring to your inside, it would be analogous to what you and I would call our emotional energy or our passion for life. In other words, that which propels you out into life, that thing, you know, that you, it makes you just want to take on life. But what is a crushed spirit? A crushed spirit is when you look at you, your life and you say, I have no desire for this anymore. I have little or no joy in what's going on in my life. There's no passion to go out there and go for it. Many, many of you have been there. I've been there. And of course, there are degrees to a crushed spirit there's listlessness and restlessness. There's discouragement, there's depression. You can be very cast down or you could be totally depressed. But what this Proverbs is saying is that there is nothing more important than maintaining your inner being. In fact, if you just put that proverb we just looked at up on the screen again, what is this saying when you look at it? It's saying that a broken body can be sustained by a strong spirit But a crushed or broken spirit can never be sustained by the strongest body of all. See how important your insides are? And here's what's fascinating. Here's why this is so important. Because we as human beings are not obsessed with what's on the inside, we are obsessed with what's on the outside. Happiness for most of us is determined by the external circumstances. For example, if your body is healthy or if your body looks good, you're like, ah, I like that. If you have money, if people are treating you right. In other words, if things are going really well out there, that's what makes us happy or that's what makes us unhappy. And what I'm saying to you today is that the Bible says no. The Bible says, actually, it has nothing to do with your circumstances, but it has to do with your inner man, how you process, how you address, how you view what's going on. Now, do you know this is the reason why when you read the New Testament, and guys, I love the scripture because it does such a good job. The Bible is just so good. If you're not reading it, start reading it. Turn to somebody and say, read this thing. You gotta read it. When you read Paul's prayers, he's writing to the churches in the New Testament, and he's writing to churches that are being persecuted. He's writing to churches where the civil magistrates are breaking in, and they're pulling Christian families to jail. They're putting their kids in prison. And yet, what does Paul pray for? Do you see Paul praying for protection? Or does he pray against suffering? Does Paul pray that the civil magistrate will not come in and haul your butt off to jail? No. What does he pray for? Look at this scripture. He prays that your spirit is strong and powerful. That you would move out into the world with strength, even though you're being persecuted. See, because of the priority of the inner life. God says, what's happening inside you is very important to me. Now, I want to take a a little bit of time on this second point, if you just write this down, because it's really the truth. Listen carefully. God is very aware that it is complicated. Write that down. God is very aware that it's complicated. In other words, what do you have to do to keep your inner being from deteriorating? Or in other words, I guess what I'm asking is, what causes a crushed spirit? And of course, you know, again, the Bible's amazing because you know what the biblical answer is to that question? I'll just start this way. The biblical answer is so nuanced. It is so multifaceted. It is better than any other answer I know of. People who say the word of God is just a simple thing have never read it. Because it is better than any book. It is better than any philosophy to understand what's going on inside you. In fact, the scripture indicates there could be several reasons why you're struggling on the inside. Let me give you some of them. First, the Bible indicates that a crushed spirit could have a physical aspect. Would you write this down? It could be physical. Write that down. It could be physical. In fact, you look at this proverb. It says, a tranquil mind... Gives life to the flesh, but passion makes the bones rot. Now, literally, passion, that word, it has to do with a hot feeling that you have. It could be envy. It could be fear. It could be a jealousy. But what's it giving us here? It's saying that your emotional unhealth could lead to physical unhealth, cause your bones to rot. A tranquil mind gives life to the flesh, but passion makes the bones rot. See, the body and the emotions, it's saying here are united, which, by the way, means the opposite is true. There can be a physical aspect to a crushed spirit. I'll never forget, you're looking at a guy that's had two spinal fusion surgeries. My first spinal fusion surgery, I was laying down for almost a year. I was either lying down or standing up straight. In fact, for those of you that were here around then, you'll remember I taught in a back brace. And when I worked during the week in preparation for teaching, I would be laying flat on a couch with a board underneath it just to keep me straight, or I'd just have to be standing and perched up against a chair. Now, I'm going to tell you, that was a very depressing time of my life because a physical problem can lead to an emotional problem. It could be physical. Or, write this down. The Bible indicates that it could be emotional or relational. It could be emotional or relational. Notice, for example, this great proverb that we read together from wisdom. It says, an anxious heart does something. An anxious heart weighs a man down. But a kind word does what? Cheers him up. Literally, he's talking, by the way, weighs him down. In the Hebrew, he's talking about sinking Anxiety can sink you. For anybody who's just real superficial or or tries to minimize anxiety, don't. Scripture's clear, anxiety can sink you. But what is this saying? It's saying to get over anxiety, sometimes what you need is an outside word of love. (laughs) What you need is a kindness. Listen to me, you don't need medicine. That's not what it's saying. Now you may need medicine. But it's saying you don't necessarily need medicine, but you definitely need a kind word. You may or may not need therapy, but you do need love sometimes. An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. Maybe you just need arms wrapped around you. Come on. Maybe you just need a shoulder. Maybe you just need some intimacy with another person. See how complex this could be? Or third, here's another reason you could have a crushed spirit. Write this down. You could be going through this right now. It could be that you have a moral problem. You have a moral problem. The scripture's so good, if you just take a look, either on your notes or or on the screen, it says, a wicked man flees, though no one pursues. It's the last proverb on the list that I read. A wicked man flees, though no one pursues, but the righteous are what? Bold as a a lion. Now, what is this talking about? This proverb is actually a quote from Leviticus 26 where God says, if you disobey me, you're going to be the type of person who flees, though no one is actually chasing you. What's it talking about? Anybody have an idea? Friends, it's talking about guilt, You're the type of person that flees even though you're not really being chased. You have a guilty conscience. You're struggling. You ever been there where you're hidden in some sin that nobody knows about and then you think they might have found out? What do you do? You scramble. You freak out until you find out, oh, they don't know. (sighs) What are you doing? You're fleeing even though nobody's pursuing you. That's called a guilty conscience. People struggle with that. All the things that can go wrong inside, if you're not living up to the standards, if you're not living righteously that God has set for you, you're running even when no one's chasing because guilt just generalizes a sense in you that there's something wrong. It's a bad conscience. Listen, some of you today, here, right now, you not only feel guilty for some things that you've done and that you ought to feel guilty for, but you can't help Feeling guilty for things you shouldn't feel guilty for. Some of you just have a bad conscience. There are people that that they have an oversensitive guilt nerve. Somebody criticizes you and it's like you feel assaulted. Somebody disagrees with you and it is the end of the world. Why? Because you have a hypersensitive reaction. A little failure in your life feels like a total failure in your life. Why? Because there's something that's gone haywire with your conscience. Or, that's not all, I said it's very complicated. The Bible speaks to all of these. A crushed spirit may have what I'd call an existential aspect, if you'd write that down. It could be existential. So if you go to the fourth proverb down on the list, for example, it says this really amazing thing. Take a look at it. It says, even in laughter, the heart is sad and the end of joy is grief. Why, what does that mean? Well, have you guys ever noticed that sometimes people are laughing and they're having fun, but deep down, maybe you've been there deep down, they're still really sad? You ever meet those people that it seems that they're putting on a happy face, but in the end, they're still grieving? Why is that true sometimes? I'll tell you one of the reasons. For many people, there is this existential, angst that comes from underneath, down below. Where's it come from? Well, let me just put it to you this way. Everybody in the world knows deep down that eventually all the parties are gonna be over. Everybody knows that there is a ground note of sadness that you and I can't overcome. It's existential. What do I mean? Let me say it again. All joy anticipates grief. Can I give you an example? Because some of you aren't following me yet. I love going to Disneyland on vacation, but even into my second day of a week long, I know that it's going to be over. See, all joy anticipates grief. I know that I'm going to visit with my family, but I know that that night's going to end, the party of my life right before my dad died, I knew that I had those moments with him, but I knew we would be separated for a long time. As much joy as I had in the moment, you know what I'm talking about. Here's a happy family sitting around the dining room table and the simple reality is this, one of those people at the dining room table is eventually gonna see every member of their family dead. Isn't that something? Everything that your heart wants out of life is eventually going to be taken away from you. And if you don't die a tragic young death, even someday your health is gonna be taken away from you. Some of you are saying, gee, I'm so glad I came today. <laughs> Isn't this wonderful? It's so encouraging. It's like, Shane, I know, but it's like, why do, you have to, why do you have to dwell on it? Why do you have to tell me about it? Well, guess what? Try not to think about it. Because this is saying that deep down you know it's true. There is a ground note of sadness that human beings cannot overcome and some human beings get taken by it. It's complicated, it's so complicated. It's so complicated that I'm not gonna be able to solve it all today. That's why this is a two-part message we're gonna to get to some of it next week. But you know, I know people in Fresno, Fresno is filled with people who say, well you know, I don't really believe that I was created. I believe I'm here by accident. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, I believe that when you're dead, that's it. So I just say, have fun while you're here. Yeah. But if that's you, I just wanna to say to you, wait a minute, come on. Because if that's true, if you're right, if your origin is insignificant, And if your destiny is insignificant, if nobody is gonna remember anything that you ever did, how are you gonna be happy? How is that satisfying? Unless you have some philosophical way of dealing with this, you know that all joy is gonna end in grief. It is a ground note of sadness, and a lot of people have it. Now, I I gotta tell you, I struggle with Christians. Let me tell you why I struggle with Christians. Because here's what the church infamously does. And it's so bad. The church looks at people who are struggling with this sort of thing, and we turn it all into morality. Oh, you're down? Why don't you have the joy? Have you claimed all the promises? Have you confessed all your sin? You know, are you having your quiet time regularly because you just shouldn't be down? see, See, Christians are so reductionistic. We are so overly simplistic. We don't even get that the scripture speaks to the complexity of all this stuff. Don't oversimplify it. Don't reduce it. Don't make somebody feel like that they're nothing. Listen, is everything all right? And you treat it like a checklist. Check, check, check. Well, you should just have the victory, brother. And I'm just going to say to you, it is not that easy. It's just not. People who are into self-esteem, what do they say? They'll say, well, it's all emotional or relational. People who think we're just a body, they'll say, oh, it's all physical. But that's not all. There's emotional, there's moral, there's existential. Finally, let me give you one more. You ready? It could be a faith problem. Write that down. A crushed spirit could have a faith aspect. For example, Proverbs 15 13 says it this way It says, A happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. That's interesting. A happy heart makes the face cheerful but a heartache crushes the spirit. Now, some of you are sitting there and you're saying, wait a minute, Pastor, I thought the heart and the spirit were pretty much the same thing. I mean, doesn't the spirit have to do with your emotional passion? And I wanna say to you right now, no, many times they are not the same thing. Why? Because while the heart does convey emotional passion, heart means quite a bit more than that. What is your heart? Your heart has to do with your core commitments. Let me ask you a question. What are the things in life that you fundamentally trust to keep you happy? The thing that you turn to to fundamentally give you love. The thing that you're most fundamentally living for. The things you put your hope in. See, this is why, by the way, we're gonna get back to this in a minute, but look at the second proverb on the list. I'll put it up on the screen. Just touch this for a second. Notice it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. What this proverb is saying, we're gonna come back to it, but it's saying, do you realize you have to set your heart on something? That word longing It means that there is a desire from the depth of your personality when your heart has been set on something as your ultimate hope, as your ultimate trust. That thing that you look to to make you really happy, you say, if I have that, oh man, my life will be something. If I can just get that, I'll know I'm somebody. I know that I'm all right. You have to put your heart on something. This is telling you, if you put your heart on something, even in the most fundamental way, and then any problem happens to it, what's gonna happen? Your hope's gonna get deferred. You will no longer hope. You will be crushed in spirit. You won't wanna live. Your heart's gonna be sick. For example, some of you, if you're dating somebody, do you know there are people that are so in love with being in love I know people that chronically date. I know married people who chronically date and have chronic affairs because there is something in them that they look to that relationship for their ultimate hope, their ultimate satisfaction. Listen, I know people that they start dating something, they start dating somebody, and man, they are so happy, and then they break up with you. And then it is unbelievable sorrow. Why? Because that's the hope of your life. And when your hope gets deferred, you won't even want to live. Now, do you see how complicated we are? All these things can create a crushed spirit. Now, guys, listen to me. I challenge you today, as a family, go to Barnes & Noble and look up psychology, and look up all the books on emotion, I'm gonna tell you, I did this, and you will never find a book that will tell you how complicated you are. All the books you're gonna read are so reductionistic. They simplify you. Every book that you read on emotional health, every book that you read on counseling is just gonna say, we'll do this, we'll do that. Some people think you're a body, so get your chemicals right. What does the doctor say? Hey, try this medicine and you stay on that for a long, long time. Some people in society are gonna say, well, you know what you are? You're really your emotions. Your deepest feelings are the real you. You're not your conscience. You're not your beliefs. You are your emotions. So you know what we need to do? We need to just non-judgmentally support people and let them do whatever they want, and then they'll be happy. But see, the problem with that is, you're not just your body, but you're also not just your emotions either. You actually have a conscience. You actually have a will. I'm gonna tell you something else, you're not just your thinking. And hear what I'm saying to you, I'm spending a long time to say to you, listen to me, unless you're living with every aspect of who you are before God, you're in danger. You've gotta be willing to say, God, take all of me, my mind, my heart, my conscience, my spirit, my will, my everything or you're in danger of out of control emotions. And that's why I say, the best advice I could give you in this two part message, before we get to the practical next week is, the best thing you could do beginning this week is start seeking the Lord. Lord, what's going on inside me? Why am I dealing with this? Gosh, you take your notes home and you begin to study the scriptures that we've read tonight, that you begin to pray, answer the questions on the study guide because I'm gonna tell you something. Number three, God knows that it's difficult even to understand. You know why it's difficult to understand? Because it gets even more complex. (laughs) Here's why. If you look at your list again and you go to the third proverb on the list, it is an interesting proverb. There's a reason I put all these in there. They're all so good. I don't want to leave one out. Look what it says. It says, each heart knows its own bitterness and no one else can share its joy. What's this saying? This is saying, each heart knows its own bitterness and no one else can share its joy. This is saying that your insides, the movements, the motions of your heart are so complex that you don't even really understand them and nobody else will either, that there is a solitude about the human existence that nobody is ever gonna completely understand you. Do you know what they're gonna do to you? You're gonna share your heart with somebody, and here's what they're gonna do to you. They're gonna do to you what you're gonna do to them. <laughs> you're gonna say, oh, I totally understand. Yeah, it's like that time I, blah 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 ba And that person listening to you is gonna go, you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> We always do that to each other. You're gonna think you understand them. And you know what you're gonna do? This is what we do to people. We like to put them in a category. Oh, well it's just like this thing with me. Oh no, it isn't. Do you know what this proverb is saying? This proverb is saying it absolutely isn't. There is a uniqueness to what you're going through that no one else will experience. You say, oh, well, it's just like happened to so-and-so. No, look what it's saying. Each heart knows its own bitterness. No one else can share its joy. In other words, God's word is saying there is a sense in which you are so unique. You are so hidden. You are so inward. In the final analysis, there is a sense in which no one can fully understand you. You're gonna to have to basically, I've got good news for you, you ready? You're gonna to have to basically go through life alone. <laughs> even your family, even the people closest to you aren't gonna fully understand you. And, and we can sense that. We try and how many you ever gotten frustrated with your spouse because they just can't seem to understand? <laughs> it's not their fault. You're a complicated woman. You're complicated, man. (laughs) Do you know what this is saying? Each heart knows its own bitterness. No one else can share its joy. You know what it's telling you? It's saying no one's going to fully understand you. Get over it. Some of you, (laughs) I know people like this. Some of you, maybe you have this problem. I do. You are so afraid of being misunderstood. You hate to be misunderstood. You have to explain and explain and explain until people get you. Here's the problem, nobody is gonna fully get you. <laughs> get over it. You are alone. There is no human being that can walk with you everywhere that you want to go. There is no human being that can help you interpret everything you're really going through. Now, you know what this means? This is, this is big, I'm building this up, you know why? This means that if God is not someone that you believe in, if God is only an abstraction, if God is not your friend, if God is not somebody you know personally, listen, if you don't have a sense that God is really with you, if you're not putting his love and his truth palpably into your heart, you don't have a personal relationship with God, then you really are utterly alone in this world. Because human beings can't give you what you're looking for. They cannot. God is the only one who can walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. Otherwise, you are utterly and totally alone. So what happens then? Again, this is just the first part of a two-part message. What happens? If you're crushed in spirit, what do you do? Do you see, because you see what I've done here? I have spent all this time to set up on purpose how hard it is to have a crushed spirit, first of all. (laughs) And here's the reason why, because you need a kind word from the outside. We can't heal ourselves. We need someone from the outside to come in with love, yet I also just said to you that nobody really understands you. (laughs) Listen to me, friend. I go to a therapist. I'll be the first one to admit, I go to therapy weekly, regularly. There's a lot of problems going on with this. (laughs) And you can go to years and years and years of therapy. I know people who have 30, 40 years you go, and you've been told almost every week, stop feeling guilty. But guess what? You can't. You still feel guilty after 30 to 40 years. Look at that scripture again. You flee when no one is really pursuing you on your notes. Why? Because there's just that sense in you that something's not right. I'm just not living up. I'm not doing what I ought to do. What are you gonna do about that? What are you gonna do about your existential problem or your fear of death? Here's the answer. You ready? I'm just giving you one answer today, and then we're gonna move on next week. You ready? But I want you to be thinking about this all week. Here's your one answer. The answer in the Proverbs is the tree of life. Would you write that down? It's the tree of life. Tree of life. See, it's mentioned twice here. It's actually mentioned three times in the Proverbs. And it is a fascinating reference because the Bible talks about the tree of life in Genesis. Listen, the Bible talks about the tree of life in Genesis, and it talks about the tree of life in Revelation, but nowhere else in all of the Bible except the book of Proverbs through wisdom, the book of Proverbs says you can actually get a taste of the tree of life. If you go back to Genesis, the tree of life, what was it? It was in the middle of the Garden of Eden. What does the tree of life mean? The tree of life represents not just eternal life, but the tree of life represents the fullness of your life, the absolute satisfaction of all your deepest desires. For example, some of you have these Creative desires to accomplish things. And some of you have these aesthetic desires for beauty. I know I do. That's why this all looks so good. Some of you have these emotional, relational desires for love. Or some of you, you have a desire for knowledge. Do you know what the tree of life represents? The tree of life represents absolute satisfaction a million times over. A million times magnified. The greatest amount of satisfaction you could want. That's the tree of life. Now, the book of Genesis says we lost it. At the end of Genesis 3, and you know what it actually says? It says, at the end of Genesis, it says there is a flaming sword that sweeps back and forth to keep us from getting to it, keeping us from the tree of life. Why? Why? Because when we turned as human beings to be our own masters, to be our own saviors, when you decided to be your own Lord, when we decided that we wanted to be in charge of our own lives, we lost the tree of life. That's the crux of all of our emotional problems. What's the saying here, though? Here's what this means. I told you we were going to come back to it. Look at it. Look at the scripture again. Proverbs 13, 12. You can look at it in your notes on the screen. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but let's read that last line together, here we go. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. See, what are we really looking for? We're looking for the tree of life. When you get into that career, listen, guys, I'm gonna relate to you for just a minute. When you get into that new career and you're so excited about that new job, (laughs) do you remember that feeling? When you get a new boyfriend or a girlfriend and you get into that new relationship, do you remember that feeling? When you get into that? See, the things that we put our hearts on to fulfill our longings, when, you, when you're looking forward to that vacation all year long, what's happening there? You travel to someplace you've never been? Do you realize all of those things are just a shadow of what God says I want to do? You're looking for the tree of life but you're looking for it in something that can never deliver. The tree of life image in the Bible, it's not simply referring to eternal life, it's talking about a cosmic nostalgia that we all have for something deeper. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is the tree of life. See, we're longing for something we remember, but we've actually never had. Do you know all the music? Do you ever listen to music to give you a high? Do you realize what you're doing? You're looking for a song that you remember but you've never heard yet. Because that's what the tree of life is. There is something in the human person. The Bible is saying, unless you understand what you're really looking for, nobody put it like C.S. Lewis. If you've not gotten what I've said, you'll get it now. Look at what he said. Now, now, don't l- listen to it. I don't, I'm not going to put this on the screen for you, but C.S. Lewis says, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, they would know what they do want and want acutely as something that cannot be had in this world. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love, when we first think of some foreign country, when we first take up some subject that excites us, the longing which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy I am not now speaking of what we would ordinarily call unsuccessful marriages or holidays or learned careers. I'm actually speaking of the best possible ones. There was something that we're grasping at in the first moment of our longing that just fades away with reality. You know what Lewis calls it? He says, we all have a lifelong nostalgia. We're longing to be reunited with something that only God can do. On the inside of us, there is some door waiting to be opened. All you have to do is call on God. Why do you have a despondent spirit? The psalmist said, why so downcast, oh my soul? It's because everything that you have looked for to give you a sort of satisfaction never really delivers. Now listen to me, friend. There's all sorts of things you could do. You could be really stupid. You could say, oh, I just need to get a new job. I just need to get a new city. I just need to get a new wife. I just need to get a new husband. I need a new lover. I need a new place to go. You can make all those choices. You realize what you're saying is, you're saying, I just need a change. I just need a change. No, that's not the problem. You're constantly changing all the time. That's not the issue. Some of you, you could just get mad at yourself you could just blame yourself, you're, I'm a failure, I'm just never happy, or you could get cynical, you should just say, well, I shouldn't expect anything out of life. I'm gonna tell you, if those are your answers, every time you're gonna have a crushed spirit, or at least an atrophied spirit, what's the solution? you know what the New Testament continually says? Again, you gotta get into this book. It says that Jesus died on a tree. In fact, it literally says that in the book of Acts, 1 Peter, Galatians. It says things like, they hung Jesus on a what? On a tree. He was nailed to a what? He died on a... You ever wonder about why they call it a tree? Some of you are like, well, it's an exaggerated. it wasn't a tree, it was a cross. I mean, there was a big trunk, but it wasn't really a tree, was it? Why do they say a tree? This is so significant, pay attention. Pay attention. In the Garden of Eden, God comes to Adam and Eve and says, obey me about the tree. Don't eat it and you will live. They didn't obey. Centuries later, Jesus comes into a garden, the garden of Gethsemane, and God comes to Jesus and says, obey me about the tree, and he did. But look at the difference. The first Adam, God said, obey me about the tree, and you will live. The second Adam, he says, obey me and go to the tree. Go to the cross. Do what I'm asking you to do. You will be crushed, he said to Jesus. You will be crushed in your spirit. You will be crushed in your body. You will be crushed eternally. And Jesus did it. And in Psalm 22, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's a place in verse 14 where he says, my heart is turned to wax. It's melted away within me. See, Jesus has lost his ultimate hope Think about this. Jesus put all of his hope. He was the only one who did it right. He put all of his hope in the Father, the only person in the history of the world to put his ultimate hope in the Father, and yet he lost the Father eternally on the cross. He was, the scripture says, infinitely crushed. Why? For us. To pay the penalty. You know why I say that? I read a poem by an old poet by the name of George Herbert. He puts it perfectly, it's, a, it's in this poem called The Sacrifice and he says, it depicts Jesus speaking from the cross and he, there's one stanza, I'll just read it to you. He says about, one stanza where Jesus says, O all ye who pass by, behold and see. Man stole the fruit, but I must climb the tree. A tree of life to all, but only me. The cross was a tree of death. See, Jesus climbed the tree so that you can experience the tree of life. See, he turned a tree of death into a tree of life for all of us. Now, you wanna ask me where emotional healing begins? To the degree that you let that reality that I just said begin to melt your heart to the degree that you begin to see what Jesus did for you, to the degree that you begin to rejoice in that and orient your heart toward that, to the degree that you experience it, Tolkien called it the, the joy beyond the walls of the world, as poignant as grief, he said. He said, man, there is something more. There is joy that's in the gospel. So what do you have to do? This is your first step. We're gonna get to the rest next week. Ready? Write this down. It's in the tree of life. You've got to take the gospel and start using the gospel on your own spirit. Write that down. It's choosing to take and apply the gospel to your own spirit, your emotions. Now listen, that's what you finally need. It's the ultimate kind word. It's, it's the ultimate good word. Do you need to get rid of your isolation? Yeah. Do you need an emotional connection and yet nobody understands you? The only eyes in the universe who knows everything you're going through, who sees you to the bottom but loves you to the skies, is Jesus Christ. And you know what you have to do? You have to use that on your emotions. You have to use that on your heart. That last verse that we just read, Jesus said, my heart's turned to wax. It's melted away within me. Guys, I'll just close with this. I've gone too long. There was this great preacher by the name of Hal Harris. He was an old Welsh preacher 200 years ago. He he was a young man. He wasn't even Christian. He was like 14 or 15, and his aunt was dying. And the family was gathered all around her, waiting for her to die. Back then, they would literally gather around and just wait in the room for them to die. And it looked like she was dead. So they started to say, oh, I think poor aunt so-and-so is dead. You know what she did in that moment? She opened her eyes, she looked up, they said, I think poor aunt so-and-so is dead. She looked up and she said, who calls me poor? She said, I'm not poor, I am rich, and I will stand before God as bold as a lion. Then she died, and that had such an impact on Hal Harris, he later wrote a hymn about it about how Jesus took the tree of death so that you could have the tree of life and you could begin to use it on your own conscience, on your own emotions. Use that on your existential angst. Most of all, use it as the hope of your heart and realize it's the ultimate song. It's the ultimate everything. Let's go to God in prayer. Let's do it. Father, thank you so much for your good work in our life. Lord, help us as we examine what's going on inside of us, why we're happy, why we're unhappy, that you would help us get to the bottom line. But it would begin with knowing you and walking with you. Would you just meet us where we are? Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. In Jesus' precious name. Everyone said